Within printed page rests fates unseen, doused in ink and laid between. Shadows lurk within your findings to other realms and beyond the vine. Hello everyone, welcome to Beyond the Bindings, I'm Max Lopez and this week we are going to cover Reaper Man, which is the 11th Discworld book by Terry Pratchett. This one was published in 1991, uh, which was the year I was born, so it's uh, it's as old as I am, which is pretty cool. Uh, this one was, uh, I, I enjoy the character death in the Discworld books, and there's a few of them that revolve solely around him. And his actions and uh, I, I really enjoy personification as a as as a story tool and the ability to give human characteristics to inanimate objects or animals is just something that's always kind of fascinated me and fascinated me and, and taken my interest and I think that death is such a great opportunity of a concept and something that's inevitable for all of us to take and personify and i've talked about this before because my favorite discworld book is mort which is the first one that revolves around death and his actions or um yeah i say his actions are the best way to put it and reaper man kind of i wouldn't say that uh, it's fully based on his actions i think that he's kind of forced into some situations within this story but I do really enjoy him as a character, and I love that he's got like these glowing blue eyes, and he can only be seen by wizards because, or at least, wizard. Yeah, he can only be seen by wizards, and he has to formally come at the end of a wizard's life, which also plays a little role in this one as well. So, at the beginning of Reaper Man, here uh, the auditors of reality are coming in to ensure that everyone is obeying the the rules and the laws of reality. And death is actually audited for developing a personality. So this idea of personification that I am discussing here is is kind of the a big big plot plot point within this story because. He's now kind of being faulted for having a human personality or continuing to develop one. So he's actually sent to the disc to live with, to just live a normal life. And he ends up in this octarine grass county, which is really just like this farm, you know, this series of farming villages and farms and things like that. And he changes his name to Bill Dorr and he begins to work for this woman named Miss Flintworth. And... It's kind of funny because she's not really aware that he is like a skeleton because he's he, he almost has like this glamour on him. Uh, so, But she still is like understanding that he's very like frail and very skinny and like she describes him as a skeleton without being able to like fully process that he is a skeleton, you know, let alone, you know, maybe the famous, the most famous one that any of us even on the people on the disc have ever heard of, so pretty funny and and just the his choice of of just a super simple name as bill door is is something i found very humorous and his relationship with miss flintworth is kind of uh it's very uh like loving in a way like he i, I feel like it's kind of a relationship like almost like a like a uh 
like a marriage type deal, like something that you don't really expect out of death because he has his relationship with like his innkeeper, um, Albert, I believe. And then his like adopted daughter as well. But you're kind of seeing something coming from like a little bit more like loving in like a marriage type way, as I was describing earlier. So humans, uh, need to kind of develop like what their idea of what death should look like as their new death because their current death is being dethroned. And so they need some more time to actually replace their death. So while this is happening, life forces of dead humans essentially are building up and they're causing all this par paranormal activity, most of which we're seeing happen in the city of Ankh-Mork Park, which is uh, very familiar to us on the disc. And I thought this was, uh, it's funny because in Mort, he, he is replaced, he purposely replaces himself so that he can go on vacation. And then in this story, he, instead of replacing himself, he gets dethroned and now there's no Mort to take over for him. Essentially there's nobody. So it's basically like the drain is clogged and none of the water is able to get through. So all of these different dead souls are left to kind of cause some problems or trying to try to escape their their uh, their paranormal form here and uh that that's where we're introduced to a, a dead wizard who dies at the beginning of the book he's like over 100 years old his name is Windlepoon which of course you know why wouldn't it be Windlepoon and essentially like he comes back to life because he can't pass to the you know to the to the to the next world and the wizards at the unseen university just won't accept it so a good portion of the story is just kind of windowpoon like getting buried and then climbing out of getting buried and then the the wizards themselves trying to get rid of him and it, he doesn't necessarily want to live and he ends up actually joining this fresh start club which is like an undeads right group rights group and it's like vampires and zombies and werewolves and like anything you can imagine that's technically dead but like has to stay alive because it has some curse essentially. And he ends up joining that. And he's, they end up kind of just, they're, they're essentially just trying to save themselves the entire time which I found pretty entertaining and I thought it was interesting uh, to see the Arch-Chancellor Arch from the Unseen University just kind of running around as much as possible, um, trying to, you know, the wizards in Discworld are just so foolish and they're so purposely foolish. It's like, it's almost as if, I don't even think it's almost as if, it's, it's as if Pratchett was purposely just trying to juxtaposition them to like what a wizard actually is or like what wizards, how wizards have always been portrayed. For example, just like Gandalf is kind of this almighty, all-knowing um, being in Middle-earth. You don't really have that. They're kind of uh, looked down upon by by you as the reader, I guess. Uh, I don't think they're necessarily looked down upon on the disc, although there's certainly plenty of people who do not like uh, the wizards. But now uh, the new death does start to develop, and... Uh, and eventually comes to take Bildor and essentially kill him and claim his right as death. And then uh, Bill's able to 
kind of finagle that in his own way and end up being successful and, and returning himself to, uh, to becoming death again. And he ends up kind of making, uh, giving the people that were kind to him, like Miss Flintworth, kind of giving them, uh, or giving her some things that she really desired in life because he kind of, he almost became more human. Um, even though that's why he was, um, in a way, dejected into into living on the in, on the disc he almost becomes more human and uh and because of that becomes like a better version of death which is really cool he kind of grows in his personality in a way even though that's essentially what they were trying to get rid of was uh was this kind of human characteristics that he had developed over time now shorter book wasn't very long um I enjoyed it. I thought that it was kind of confusing at certain points. Um, and I kind of tried to think, like, is it just me? Is it him? I could really understand, like, I, everything that was going on with death, I really understood. But some of the stuff with Windlepoon and everything that was happening in Ankmore Pork, I found to be kind of confusing. Um, I still enjoyed it just because they are so quick. They go by, you know, before... You don't feel like you're wasting too much time trying to figure out exactly what's going on when sometimes that's a little bit easier. And also sometimes a little bit easier said than done, um, especially in regards to these fantasy stories where like a lot of the elements are just being created, you know, for the first time by some of these authors. So you're really kind of playing that active member of the story, uh, creating this thing that you've never seen before. And it does not always seem as uh, as tangible as as maybe you would hope it to be when you're trying to develop it in your head. But I tried to pick some themes out of this, and obviously, like life and death is going to be a big part of it. And I think a big thing that uh, Pratch is trying to get across here is like this equilibrium between life and death, and that uh, we often view death as such like a sad and scary thing that we don't all that we actually don't want to experience. But I think he's showing through Windowpoon here that although like this man lived forever and he of course even at the end probably didn't want to go. But once you experience that like you know, maybe that was the next step, maybe that's the next thing you are supposed to do, that he is able to um accept the fact that death is all right, and it's a natural part of the, uh, the 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 process of this whole thing we experience here on Earth or on the disc. And I really enjoyed that. I thought it was a cool concept. I thought that uh, we didn't get as many goofy characters as we get typically. Um, Windowpoon was just kind of like lost, you know, the whole time. So he wasn't necessarily goofy or silly. And we did get the Arch-Chancellor back and cut me on Throat Dibbler and um, even some of the guards that we had found from Guards Guards had made their way back into the story as well. And I love to see these reoccurring silly characters, but nothing that's really um, sticking out in regards to like fully following somebody like Granny Weatherwax or um, who would be another one. I guess Cut Me on Throat Dibbler would have been the big one in Moving Pictures. Uh, these just absolutely outrageous and absurd characters that kind of make these Ter Terry Pratchett books really worth it. Again, I do love this concept of death going and, and becoming a farmer. 
and kind of seeing what it's like to just live this, uh, like I don't consider being a farmer like a basic thing to do. I mean, there's a lot of work that's involved and there's a lot of determination and skill that you need to be able to do those things. But he goes to do something that's very, uh, very much a human need. And uh, he's even trying to be like innovative in the way in which he does that, which is kind of cool to see him continue to kind of push these boundaries on how things are supposed to be completed, uh, it, which is very much something that humans have done, I mean, so actively over the course of, uh, of over the course of all of human history, really. I mean, anything that we have established as something that needs to be done, we've also tried to establish the easiest way in which that thing gets done. And you could chalk it up to being lazy, but, you know, truly it's about how do we manage time? And I think that, you know, on a personal level, I, I try to figure out how I can squeeze as much stuff in as possible. And that, that all revolves around this time management piece. So it's kind of funny that even as death becomes the closest he's ever going to get to become a human, he does that same thing that we all do, where it's basically just taking down our laying out our day, laying out our week, our year, whatever we want to get accomplished in a set amount of time and trying to figure out how much time do we need? How much time can I get to rest? I'm going to need to take my break. I'm going to need to, um, you know, spend some time away from the thing I want to. Uh, spending time away from your goal, I think, is the only way that you can really accomplish your goal. And through that, kind of assessing the way that we can best utilize our time to be efficient and to be productive while at the same time being lazy and uh and in doing the things that may be our time consumers because those things might seem like a time consumer uh, which they are but as long as you don't completely let them kind of take over you then you're really not using them in a bad way you're actually using them kind of as fuel which is essential it's kind of thinking um if I could think about like something I do regularly, like playing guitar and I say I want to learn a new song or, you know, learn anything in particular, the first day you do it, you might really struggle with this new technical part you're trying to do. And, and, and it, it kind of gets to the point where at first, you know, you're like, I, I don't even hear it. And then eventually you start hearing it, you know, whether it's quick or not so quick, you start hearing it and then you know how to do it, but then you're not doing it accurately. And then you get frustrated and, this, you know, maybe 30, 45 minutes has passed. And for a long time, I thought that I needed to just, you know, go at it, go at it, keep doing it, keep doing it. But really what that did for me, and this is a very personal thing, um, it just drove frustration. And I didn't think that was healthy for kind of my relationship with music just in general. So... I kind of developed this idea that l let's step back from it, like for, you know, play another song or, or just put it down and stop playing guitar just in general. Like you're not going to become worse just because you played for an hour today and not two hours or because you played for a half an hour and not an hour. If that, if, if you put in the time, take a break from it, come back to it tomorrow and it's funny because even like this is on something that I really focus a lot of energy on and, and does take a lot of kind of precision and skill to be able to play an instrument. But I even think about it with video games because video games are, are way more like 
addictive in the in the moments where like it, it's really hard to kind of pull away from them especially if you keep trying to beat the same thing over and over and over again and i mean i want to say i've spent hours of my life replaying the same levels of video games that i keep losing at the end and keep losing at the end and i have such a hard time giving it up in the moment but i've learned and even in those moments i do know that if i were to put this thing down and come back to it later or come back to it tomorrow i'm probably going to beat it on the first try and that happens it's not mutually exclusive but it happens fairly frequently enough that i that it it's made an effect it's it's something that i've noticed and even something that i've been noticing with guitar as well where i'm able to step away from it not get your not, not get too in my head that I wasn't able to accomplish something that I kind of sat down to accomplish and then coming back to it and by the end of the week you know if it's this new song I'm working on or something like that by the end of the week I feel very comfortable with it and probably more comfortable with it than if I would have just gone at it I don't need, actually I don't I couldn't say that I would feel more comfortable with the song I think I'd feel more comfortable and proud of what I was able to actually get done instead of sulking one day in the fact that I couldn't do it which honestly could like in the mind of an artist or anybody who really practices something like that it could really kind of defeat you as far as like that that ego to yourself goes because like of course like you don't want to it's not ideal to really push an ego or your ego on on somebody else but to be somebody who creates something you do have to have an ego within yourself in order to accept that it's good and i i think that you know maybe personally it's not something i want to go like out to the world and be egotistical in that way but i think it's really important to kind of give yourself that confidence and i think there is a part of your ego that is needed in that world and so really this is just comes down to that time piece and i'm bringing it into you know this idea that death is kind of using his time and, and seeing the purpose of, of kind of conserving it as much as possible. And I do, you know, I also like time and, uh, and death have essentially are so connected to each other. And not just, not just in the story, but of course time and death just in actual our own reality as well. But death has like a, has like a sand clock for everybody. And that's how he knows how much time is left. And Essentially, I kind of always imagine that he's got like kind of this infinite hallway that contains like all of our, all of our death clocks on them. So, you know, I, I don't think I'll ever not enjoy these stories. I think that sometimes they can be kind of confusing because he just throws a lot at you. And he, I, I think he purposely tries to just spin you in this circle where you're just like, wait, okay, I got it okay it's coming together kind of falling apart for me not so sure where what i missed at that point but there's always kind of that one string for me in the story that kind of keeps it going and kind of keeps me on the path of understanding the story as best as possible but terry pratchett he really is a genius i'm uh you know with so many of these Discworld books left i am kind of curious is mort gonna always retain its uh its status as being number one or is will it be dethroned is there a better one or you know one that i think is better i'm very curious to uh to discover that but i'm actually going to be taking a break 
from Discworld for quite some time because uh, Brian and I, uh, Brian's been on the podcast here quite a bit at this point. We did, we've done 1984, we've done it, we did different seasons. Uh, what else have we done? Uh, I feel like we did do one other thing. I don't know. We've been recording a lot lately together, so I don't really remember exactly what we did before we started our next big project. But so what are, what we're doing is we're going to do all four of the Lord of the Rings books, starting with The Hobbit and then doing the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And that's going to lead us into our big new project that's basically going to take up the, the rest of the year. Brian's going to, you know, essentially just be a permanent co-host for me here on the show. And I'm really excited about it. I, uh, most of them are recorded, actually. We, uh, we still have The Return of the King to, uh, to record, but we have The Hobbit, The Fellowship of the Ring, and The Two Towers all recorded, and I'm just kind of in the process of editing that. So most of them are going to be broken up into two parts, um, and then we might do a kind of a wrap-up one, depending, or I might just make the last, last one be a little bit longer. But So look out, The Hobbit will be coming out next week, part one of The Hobbit, and then uh, we're going to progress through that series. We're super excited about it. But uh, as always, I'm Max Lopez, and this is Beyond the Bikes. <laughs>